Hi, and welcome to DigiListen from SCBO. This is a podcast we recorded about digital leadership before the current coronavirus situation. We thought we'd release it in tandem with our newer podcast about leadership that we've recorded with Zoe Amar. We wanted to show how far everything has come in a few short months and what has stayed the same in terms of the importance of digital leadership, as well as what that means for the sector. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. This is Catherine Parry-Wilkes at SCVO, talking to Maddie Stark, also of SCVO. Maddie is the Digital Development Officer for the digital team, and we're going to talk today about the Senior Leaders Programme that SCVO Digital are running. So, as a starter for turn, Maddie, can you, you know, tell me the journey of the Senior Leaders Programme? Tell me the story of how it's come about. For me, what happened was around four years ago, our Head of Service, Sally Dyson, had an idea of bringing senior leaders from the voluntary sector together to work with each other to to start troubleshooting digital issues, if you like. What she found at the time, though, was that actually, as a sector, it wasn't quite ready for that. That that idea of having digital issues was too far ahead. And actually, what the sector was looking at was about bringing people together to talk about how they could use digital in their organisations to look at how they could increase capacity how they could do more of the work that they were there to do and how they could work smarter, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. So that was really how it was born and what it came out of was that initial idea from Sally to actually think about let's get people together and look at what everybody else is doing. And then it formed into a much bigger, wider programme of change management to the what we see today with the six-month programme. Okay, so with the six-month programme that we're currently running, can you... Tell me about it. Tell me about what happens there. Of course, the change management programme we have at the moment, um, as we said, is for six months and people are expected to come away on a two-day residential. I have a background in youth work, so I'm very much into the idea of taking people out of their regular environment, putting them somewhere else and allowing them to have the headspace to actually think about what are some of the issues and challenges they're experiencing. In this context, it's very much about the digital context that we're talking about. Digital is used as the catalyst for change within the programme. So it's that idea that we are attempting to bring about change and digital is by the tool by which we hope change will happen. Me and um, my colleague Ross McCulloch from Third Sector Lab co-facilitated. Ross was one of the original facilitators right from the start. So he's been doing this for around three to four years and I joined about two years ago. We try to run it as an action learning set model, so that's very much a peer support. It's the idea that it's a safe space and they're learning and sharing knowledge from each other. It's not a strict action learning set, but it's based on that model of listening, questioning and answering. We're trying to move away from the solution-focused idea, so it's very much about asking what's the purpose and what else and what might happen to get people to try and think out of the box and and bigger and further than they would normally think. So to move away from that idea about there's a problem, how do we fix it? It's more about actually, well, what is the problem we're trying to fix? So you talked about when the the programme first started that we were trying to bring people in and finding out that what we thought was the ground floor was actually the second floor and we needed to take it down. 
So how has that changed over the course of the years? What are the kind of changes that you've seen yourself in the sector and in the people that are now on the programme? How, how have the last four years in the sector and in digital generally shaped how everything works now? That's very much what has happened. As you said, we went in at the wrong floor and we had to take the lift down. And there's been a lot of mindset change. Initially, when we started, people were very much using lack of funding and lack of time as a reason to not introduce digital. People were saying, we can't do this, we don't have money, we don't have the time, we're supposed to be here delivering frontline services. That's not part of our delivery model, if you like. And over the years, this is no longer becoming what I would say is an excuse or an issue for people. They're actually realising that a lot of the things that digital can do can free up time and money and increase funding because people can report better so they can get more money in because they're able to show more of the job that they're doing. Digital is no longer seen as something that's nice to have. It's a definite necessity now. People are taking on board, particularly from this current cohort, there's a general genuine feeling that actually if we don't evolve as a sector there are new private startups that are coming in from the tech industry who will be able to do what we do better quicker smarter so for us it's a case of we need to be able to get on board and to take this and to be able to run with it as much as we can. So seeing digital instead of being a replacement for the work that you're doing or taking up the time that you would be doing that to let it enhance it to facilitate what you actually want to do so having it embedded as something that runs through everything you're doing rather than something you need to specifically focus on yes very much there was a quote from the cohort that has just finished to, as a takeaway for that individual in their organization was to embrace digital not brace for digital so it was that idea about actually let's take this on board as opposed to waiting for the impact of this awful thing that was going to happen and that for me was a really good way of talking about it was actually that it, it is good for us we can do this we can make it work for us and it's about enhancing and supporting as opposed to taking over and replacing so what sets this particular course Apart from other leadership courses, what would you say are the, you know, what are the unique aspects of what we're doing as opposed to what you might find elsewhere? I think for me, the the most unique thing about the course is there are other change management programs out there. There are other leadership programs out there. Ours is very specific about using digital as the catalyst for change. So that's the focus. There is a, a massive tendency within the programme to talk about people and culture because it's we are asking people to change behaviour. We're asking people to do something. So it's it's not about taking on something new or, or, or learning a whole new job. It's about doing the same job but just learning to do it in a slightly different way. And that is about taking it back and thinking what are the tools that are out there. And that's not something that happens in other leadership programmes, I think. So that whole having digital as the catalyst and having digital as the main focus and context. People also get access to our alumni. So they join a network of over 100 other senior leaders, chief execs, um, operations managers, high level individuals who are out there with similar visions and mindsets who want to help and who want to share. And they have very easy access to them. They can contact them, get in touch with them immediately, phone them up, have a chat ask and, and share issues and problems. They get one-to-one -one support throughout the six months, so they get that from me, but they also get it after. So once you've been through the programme, the support never goes, so it's always there. SCB will provide that, whether that's me 
whether it's through John Fitzgerald, through the digital checkup, whether it's through Alison Stone with the cyber awareness, so whatever it is, we are there to do our own support. But then also through Ross, Ross is there to provide support. And then generally as a group, it's a, it's a peer support group. So that is very much what we try and form. And that's a reason, another reason for the residential is the residential helps bond people really quickly so they get to know each other in a very intense atmosphere and they're able to start sharing things to break down the barriers, I suppose. And they get access to experts in the field. So as part of the, the one day face to face, the first part, the morning part, is we have an expert in to talk about flexible tech or to talk about cyber awareness or to talk about managing culture and change. And they then have that person as a contact that they can ask from that point on for help and support as well. And I, I personally don't know of any other programme that does all of this in one neat six-month package. Fantastic. So that's what everyone who goes through the course can get out of it. What is it, do you think, or what is it for you that you get out of it? What keeps you going? What keeps you so enthusiastic about it and such a good ambassador for it? Um, for me, one of the things that I get out of it is that I find it incredibly inspirational. I have this wonderful job where I'm able to work with a group of highly motivated, brave and bold individuals who are also very progressive. So they have ideas, they have a vision. The thing that can be missing for a lot of them is they just don't simply know how to get to the vision. So they don't quite know how to get from A to B. They know they want to get there. They know they can get there. They just need that extra little piece of the jigsaw to help them actually manage that journey. The individuals that I work with are willing to put themselves out there, so they're willing to take the risk of their organisation, so to take things back and try something new. So they're willing to challenge the organisation and they're willing to, to go back and say, this needs to happen and this is why it needs to happen. And now we're seeing a lot more people putting service users really at the heart and doing real collaboration with people who the organisations are there to serve, so taking that service design approach. And that, for me, is is really great to hear because as a sector, I think we're really good at developing and delivering services, but we're not necessarily really good at actually figuring out what's the problem that we're trying to solve. So it's about spending more time and the folk that I work with are, are very much on board with that. So again, the other thing is that it's never easy. What we're asking people is to change and that generally is never easy. Some things can happen really quickly, but some things won't work. And it's about working with a group of individuals who are willing to take the opportunity to to fail and to learn from that failure, to do a bit of testing and then to actually think, okay, what worked, what didn't, let's take that back, let's go and do something differently. So it's just about having that bravery, I think, to be able to, to ask the right questions and to take the risk. Yeah, I imagine that can be quite rare, especially once you get into sort of upper echelons of management, being brave enough to go out and say, this might fail, but I'm still going to try. So do you find that you know, working on this, do you think that that manages to keep, well, that manages, that enables you to be constantly on the lookout for, you know, new and exciting ways of doing things and having to keep yourself running alongside the pace of change to make sure that you can always go back with stuff and say, I don't know what that is, I'll find out and then I'll look at what and how the sector is using that. Yes, absolutely. That it is a really exciting part of my job particularly now with the current cohort of senior leaders, they are coming to me with things that I've maybe not heard of. Uh, for example, we have TikTok as the, the communication platform that's out there that's in the news for good and bad reasons. And this is something that if people are asking me questions, if I can't answer them, then it's my job to go off and find out what is this, 
what's the what's the information about there what's real what's not real is it helpful what do we need to know should people be panicking and it's it's about me being able to give educated and evidence information so it's not about my opinion it's about the fact that this is evidence that's backed up and that allows them the organizations to make their own opinions or or own judgments about actually what's out there and what's what's happening so it means that I have to be one step ahead and I as a job I, I absolutely love that having to having to know stuff I find that really exciting <laughs> so sharing and passing on of knowledge then absolutely and that's key within the program itself that's at the heart of the program is that that's one of the biggest things is about sharing knowledge sharing experiences not reinventing the wheel somebody out there will know something so let's find out and go ask them yeah, someone else has already had had this problem, and if you ask around, they will tell you how they solved it absolutely. and what you shouldn't try. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, if people are thinking about going for this program, thinking that this is something they want to be a part of, what would you, you know, what are your top tips? What do you recommend? Thinking about what do you recommend in terms of looking out for or, you know, strategizing if you want to apply. There's, we held a, a small event last year to speak to our previous alumni about some top tips that they would have. And there was four key things that they came out with. And the first thing was to make sure that if you're the person that's applying, you are the right person. So be sure that you can actually bring about and affect change within your organisation, that you are in a position of influence, that you're actually able to have real impact that's key because you will be expected to make change happen. And if you don't have the buy-in or that level within the organisation to make that happen, then it's it'll be six months of frustration and banging your head off a brick wall. So from that sheer point of view, just of personal satisfaction, it's about making sure that actually you are able to do this. The other thing was to make sure you're in the right headspace as a, as a leader you are expected to embrace digital and to role model behaviour. You're not expected to be a digital guru, so you're not expected to know everything, but certainly it's being expected to be able to have a motivation and an enthusiasm for it. Um, being able to understand that digital can, and, and if done in the right way, will increase capacity, will really help your organisation and will put it up there above the rest. So it is having that vision and be able to see it as a positive The last two were about being brave and bold and willing to test and also about taking the time to fail. As you said, you know, going to your board and saying, I'm going to try this, it might not work. And then them letting you is quite a brave thing. So it's having that level of buy-in. So you need the freedom to be able to try things out, to test things, to fail things and to work on that. That's absolutely freedom. That's a very good word. Thank you. The final one is to be able to use the group as support and advice. So once somebody gets on the programme, so through the application process, it's actually about not reinventing the wheel and to think there are over 100 people who are in this network that I can go and ask and just going out and simply thinking what's off the shelf, what's there, so not starting something from scratch. I think you said earlier, there's people have done this before, so just go ask them. Use it more as sort of signposts rather than a way to workshop your favourite idea sort of thing. Exactly. So as a final sort of wrap-up then, can you give me one or two examples of you know, the favourite journeys that you've seen over the programme? There are, there are three that spring to mind, and two in particular because they spoke very recently at our current cohort's residential, so they are at the forefront of my head. 
First is Jackie Taylor, who is chief exec of Lifelink over in Glasgow. Jackie still refers to herself as a digital dinosaur. That is not true at all. Jackie, I would say, is very digitally advanced. In the, in, I think it's been four years since Jackie did it. She might have been one of the very first cohorts. And from where she was then to where she's at now, it's almost not recognisable from where she started. Jackie tells this wonderful story about using the phrase um, or, or calling a digital tool chipmunk, whereas in actual fact it is MailChimp. <laughs> Jackie. I'm Jackie. only going to call it chipmunk now. <laughs> exactly. So Jackie would, would stand up at events and say that as an organisation they were using chipmunk and people would stare at her, what's this new and exciting digital tool? And actually it was MailChimp. So it's that idea that from being able to just understand what these things are and even calling them the right name. Jackie also says that she no longer looks to the sky when she says that they are all in the cloud. So simple things like that. And also, more importantly for me, she has had to learn the language of tech um, in order to work with tech organisations. So they had, they had a, they were working with a tech firm to do their website, to look at ways of doing counselling online and to do data entry using iPads with some of the counsellors. So in order to kind of put a brief together and to understand the documents she was getting back from tech companies, she learned a whole new language. So she now understands and speaks this language so she's able to hold a conversation about all kinds of things tech firms I think are really good at bedazzling us with great words and wonderful phrases that don't necessarily mean anything and we are not equipped to be able to question what does that mean what are you saying because we don't know what we don't know if you like you think they're the experts exactly they must know they must know because it's their jobs Whereas in actual fact, they don't really know our sector, so there's a dis a disconnect. And Jackie has done incredibly well at connecting the two of them up. So she's been able to learn to speak enough of the language to know what it is she wants to ask for and let other people know. Exactly. She doesn't need to be the expert, she needs to know how to ask the experts to get what she wants out of it. Exactly. The other one is Jean Griffin. Jean also spoke at our cohort residential. Jean was on, I think it was two years ago, she was then fundraising manager from LGBT Youth. She's still with LGBT Youth, but her role is so much bigger now and encompasses so much more. Jean used it very much as a, a peer support group, if you like, and it helped her grow in confidence. And she was able to go back to the organisation and say, if we introduce digital, I will be able to do more. I'll be able to increase capacity. I'll be able to increase reach. And she was able to start introducing different parts of digital to different parts of the organisation. Jane was really good at, at testing things out and trialling it with different departments, if you like. As a youth-led organisation, Jane um, has taken a, a service design approach. So she's very much working in collaboration with the people who the organisation is there to serve, asking them questions and then putting things into practice. They were given funding a few years ago for a particular project and after a year, Jane realised it wasn't working. And then what she did was she went and spoke to young people and said, we have got funding for this. It doesn't seem to be working. And they said, well, no, because actually this is the problem. So she was then able to take that information and that evidence back to funders to say, you gave us funding for this, but actually this is what we need funded for. And they were able just to switch that funding stream to then try out the actual what the actual problem was. And that's been really successful. My third and final one is Emma Whitelock, who is Chief Exec from Lead Scotland. Emma was a couple of years ago as well, and she was really inspired 
and terrified by one of our cyber sessions. We had, um, I think it was a lecture from Napier Uni. And Emma panicked and immediately went back to our organisation and thought, we have to lock everything down, we have to put everything in covers, nobody can take laptops home. And part of that, she realised, wasn't possible in our sector because our sector is, trust is one of the main reasons that people come and work in our sector. We have freedom, we have trust and honesty within staff. So she didn't want to dilute that at all. So what she did was start to put in place processes and systems and protocols for taking things home. So if you take a laptop home, then it's about where you're keeping it, what you're doing with it, understanding things like malware and phishing scams and not randomly clicking on stuff. So she did kind of actually say, right, let's have a bit of awareness within the organisation. And I think they got their cyber essentials last year. And the other thing about Emma was uh, Emma realised that she was a problem, a a gatekeeper, if you like, to digital change within the organisation because she was going at such a pace. Emma is a very motivated chief exec and she was going at far too fast a pace for the rest of her staff team to keep up and they were exhausted. Yeah, if no one can keep up and everyone's exhausted, they're not going to even want to do any of the things that you're talking about, much less learn about, implement, and then move on to the next thing. So Emma realised that if she slowed down and started to actually go at the staff's pace and gave them more things to do, so she delegated more as well, then things would happen quicker than what were currently happening. Maybe not quite as quick as what Emma wanted, but they would still happen and at a pace that Emma was happy with. And also, more importantly, that the staff team were happy with too. And that was a real eye-opener for Emma. I'm going too fast. No one can see me for dust. Exactly, exactly. So it made a big difference. So those are the three ones. And as I say, they spring to mind because they're the ones that I've been speaking to most recently. But there's, there are so many to choose from. Okay, so I guess in that case, to wrap up, you should just quickly say, you know, what's happening this year, what's going on. The Senior Leader Programme is currently underway for the 2020 cohort, but we'll be opening up applications again in September of this year. As last year, we'll run some taste sessions in advance. We might even do a couple of webinars. You know, you can follow along with everything that we're doing via the digital e-bulletin, which is at the SCVO website, um, scvo.org.uk stroke digital. You'll find it there. You can sign up easily. Or you can check our Twitter feed, which is at DigiScot, D-I-G-I-S-C-O-T. We put pretty much everything that we're doing, saying or feeling out through at least one of those means. And of course, if you found this podcast, you can contact myself, Catherine Perry-Wilkes or Maddie Stark. Ask a question, get in touch. We'll tell you everything we know and hopefully everything that you want to know. So thanks again, Maddie. Next time we'll have to get one of the senior leaders on and have them do, you know, just a wee talk about how they found it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.